So I'm excited to be here with you this morning. So some of you know that um, in my other life, I own a business. And in our business, there's many times that we have to um, generate large proposals for customers, sometimes 50 or 100 pages, a lot of information, big picture information, a lot of details. And one of the things that we typically do when we're getting ready to present that to a customer is we have what's called an executive summary. An executive summary is uh, something that conveys the information in that proposal, distills all the big picture information and all the little details in a paragraph or two. So that an exe a busy executive who's not going to read 100 pages can get the gist of what we're talking about. He can find out what the current in, uh, situation is. He can understand what the problems or opportunities are, what their recommendations and solutions are, and what the benefits are going to be. And I think that's what Paul is doing in this little chunk of Scripture in Colossians that we're going to study today. We spent the last two chapters going over some big picture things, the preeminence of Christ. So we were taught that through Christ, all of creation was made through him, and all of creation was made for him, and he held all of creation together in his own hands. That's a big picture thing. That's a lot to digest, right? But we've also talked about what it's like to live in Christ and for Christ to live in us and how to be sacrifice, sacrificing of ourselves for Christ. And what we're going to be moving into after this is all the ways that we can live our lives for Christ. And in the middle of it, what Paul does is has this little section that is our executive summary, and it's really powerful. So what we're going to do first is we're just going to break down this, the text. And we're going to look at first Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to talk it through a little bit. So if then, is the first two words, and if then is not a question, if then in this case is like since or because, it's an absolute. So it means this is a given, this is a truth. You have been raised with Christ. So this is talking to believers, people who have been born again, People who have, in our earlier readings, we said, have gone from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, right? These are people who are Christ followers in Colossae. Next, seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And in this case, seeking things means setting our heart on things, having our desire for those things, having our aspiration for those things. So it's talking at the heart level, we're pursuing things above. And it says, not above a meaning um, the clouds or the vapor or angels with um, harps, but Christ himself. And the way it describes Christ himself is Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So Christ, I think we all know, is not Jesus' last name, right? Christ is a title that means Savior, Messiah. So this is the Messiah we're talking about. And seated at the right hand of God is powerful and important. Why is that? It goes all the way back to Psalm 110, where it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father with his enemies as his footstool. So this is a talking about Jesus Christ in the throne as a victorious king whose job is completed. And the job we're talking about, he has died, he has risen, and he will come again for the forgiveness of our sins. So that's done. He's sitting up there in victory. And that's the way we have our vision of the things that are above. Next, not the things that are on earth. So we talked about being dead to the old things and being new to the new things. So all the corruptness of our heart and our mind and our actions is gone 
and now we're looking at things that are above. This is a very, very stark contrast that Paul is trying to paint between um, things that are above Christ and things that are on earth, our old hearts. And what he's doing in this text, in his executive summary, is he's wanting us to do a reset. So if you remember what's happening in that church is that they were all Christ followers, he was encouraging them, but then things were starting to creep into their way of living life, Um, empty philosophies, being rule keepers, um, even spiritual visions that were taking the place of Christ, that secondary things were for them becoming primary things. So what Paul is saying here is we need to do a reset on what our identity is. Our identity is based on Christ. And identity answers one very basic question that we all have, I think. It's, who am I? And in the text we're talking about, and in the balance of Scripture, it talks about our identity being basically placed in one of two directions. One direction is the direction above, a godly direction. It talks about it being life. It talks about it being certain. The other direction is on earth, which talks about being dead. It talks about being uncertain. And in the Old Testament, there's an amazing text in um, Jeremiah that I want to read to you that describes it better than I could about these two ways that we can define our identity. And that's Jeremiah chapter 17, for those of you who are looking in your Bibles, verse 5 through verse 8. And first it says, thus says the Lord. So I don't know about you guys, but when I'm up here and the first thing that said is thus says the Lord, I want to ask you to put away your uh, texting, you know, put down the coffee, pay attention to what's going to be said. Some of you are old enough to remember a company called E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton had commercials for years that basically said, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And in the commercials, as soon as E.F. Hutton name, I'm going to get used to this handheld mic. Um, when E.F. Hutton's name was uh, mentioned, everybody leaned in and listened. And that's what this is about here in this text. I would like you to lean in and listen to what it says, the prophet Jeremiah. It says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited land. So this is the identity set on earthly things well described. Then it goes on, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, that sends out its roots by the stream. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it leaves, its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So this is the contrast of identity based on earthly things, and identity based on heavenly things. And what Paul, again, is talking about here with the church and to us is that even though we've been raised with Christ, even though as talking to believers we've been born again, we can drift, we can come be distracted, we can be lured into setting our identity on things other than Christ. And that's what was happening for the Colossians, and that's what I think may be happening for some of us in this church. 
And, that, and that's creating a false identity for us. It's not the identity, the true identity we have in Christ, but it's a false identity when we drift or become distracted or, or lured into other things. And there's three big categories that these things typically can fall into. And I want you to really think about these as it relates to your life. And the three categories are, we set our identity on the things that we do. We set our identity on the things that we have. And we set our identity on the things that we want. So those are three areas that we can let drift become distracted or be lured into setting our identity onto. And I want to talk about that. First, it's what we do, or in some cases, what we don't do. And what we do is talking about, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a business person, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm retired. What we do, and if you can think about how, what you do every day, what you put your clothes on when you get out of bed to do in the morning, how that can be wrapped around you so much that it dictates the things that you think, the way that you act, the things that you value, the things that you set, you, you set your purpose on. And some examples of what that might look like in, in our lives would be, I'm very successful. I'm in a new job. I'm not talking about me. I'm painting the picture. Um, I just got a raise. Things are going really, really well for me. So well, in fact, that I'm putting in extra time. So good, in fact, that I'm starting to um, not attend to relationships that I had. So good, in fact, that I'm starting to build up pride and arrogance about how successful I can be. Can you see how that might start to drift its way into, that's how I see myself that's the thing that dictates how I think or how I act or the things that I place value on or the things that I have purpose in. On the other hand, it might be, I'm not doing very well at work. I don't think my boss likes me. I don't know that I'm performing that well. I got a bad performance review. And all of a sudden now I'm starting to be spiteful. I'm starting to be envious of other people at my work. I'm starting to be slanderous toward my coworkers and my boss. And that's starting to take over the way I think about things, the way I act, the way I, things that I value, the things that I set my purpose on. A biblical example that we can think about that most of you probably are familiar with is the story of Martha and Mary. Most of you remember that story. Jesus is coming in to dine in their household Mary's lounging at his feet, soaking up the relationship with Jesus, centering herself on Christ. And what's Martha doing? Martha's washing dishes, setting out the table, making sure the linens are right. And what is she feeling? She's feeling bitterness and anger. That's an example of in our lives how we can allow what we do to take the place of Christ in terms of where we set our identity. Can you see that? Can you see that in your lives where that could be taking a primary position that Christ really needs to be in rather than the secondary position that it really should be in? The second thing is what we have. So our identity can drift 
based on what we do. It can also adrift based on what I have. So this could be what your bank account looks like. This could be your 401k. This could be where you live. This could be um, the type of jewelry you have, the type of technology you have, the clothes you wear. It could even be how attractive you are, or it could be how great of a physique or body you have, or it could be how highly intellectual you might be. But the things that you have are dictating how you live your life, where you set your priorities, how you think, how you act, where you set value, where you set your purpose. Can you see how that might be? Can you guys remember the story of the rich young ruler? And what the rich young ruler did is he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the secret to eternal life? And basically, Jesus had him answer it, and he had done everything that he needed to do. He had followed the commandments since the day he was a child. But what couldn't he do? Jesus said, "What you have to do one last thing. Give all your money to the poor. And he left in despair. He couldn't do it. He had wrapped so much of his identity around his possessions that he couldn't focus on life with Christ. In our, our life, what might that look like? It might look like I'm really successful. I'm that same person that's doing well in my job, and I'm starting to make more than I even can spend. I'm starting to save. I'm thinking about buying a house. I just got a new car. And what starts to happen there? I start, again, to maybe lose my spirit of generosity because I want to accumulate so much because my identity is really tied into the things that I have. On the other side, it might be I'm struggling and, you know, I'm living uh, with three other guys in an apartment, in a room, and I don't even have a bed. I sleep on the floor, and I see these other people being successful, and uh, I want that. So I'm becoming envious and spiteful and angry because my identity is tied up in what I have, and I don't have, so I'm unable to experience unity with Christ because that's what I'm setting my identity on. So can you see in your lives where what you do and what you have could potentially be creeping into what your identity is based on and impacting the things that you're thinking about, the way you're acting on them, the vision for what your purpose might be? The last one is what we want or don't want. So our desires. And it could be relationships, it could be hobbies, it could be passions, it could be things that are addictive as well. But these are things that I want. And a great biblical example of this is David, who we all know very well, a man after God's own heart. But him and Bathsheba, how he saw her down in the pool, and that passion and that desire and that focus led to adultery and murder even though he was a godly man. So all these people are godly people, just like the people in this room, just like the church, the Colossian church. But we can drift, we can be distracted, we can be lured into setting our identity on things other than Christ himself. So I don't know if any of you can relate to any of these things, but I really want you to think about what... Two things. 
What the problem is with this, first and foremost, is why is it a bad thing that our identity is starting to be drifting into what I do, what I have, or what I want? There's two reasons. They're both scriptural reasons. The first one is because all of that is temporary. All of those things that we're talking about are based on circumstances. They're based on uncertainty. They're not based on certainty. The second thing is they pull us away from Christ. And I want to read a scripture for you. And I want you to, just in your own mind, replace the word treasure with identity when I read this. This is Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, and it's a text that most of you are familiar with, I think. And it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So again, we're talking again about this contrast about earthly things versus heavenly things, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So again, temporary, right? Not certain. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, it's talking about the heart in Colossians 4, verse 1 through 4. It talked in 3, verse 1 through 4. It talked about our hearts being reoriented toward Christ. And what this is saying is what I set my identity on, that's where my heart goes. And so the question for you this morning that I'd like you to think about is, what is currently forming your sense of identity? Did any of those things resonate with you? Can you see how in your own life, distraction, drift, luring of other things is creating a situation where your actions, your thoughts, the things you have for your purpose and the things that you value are being dictated by what you do, what you have, or what you want. Think about it a little bit. And that's the concern Paul was talking about. When he laid out the situation for the church there, he said, we've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and minds, reorient yourself totally around Christ. But then what did he say? Not on the things of this earth. So that's the same message for us is we can drift. That's the problem. We do drift. Those are the things that are taking us away from a pure identity in Christ. But there is an answer. There is a solution. And the new solution is our new identity in Christ. Paul is challenging them to do a reset. He's challenging them to move from earthly focus to heavenly focus. And again, the heavenly focus is not on clouds or not on harps, but it's on Christ himself, who we, again, we talk about is victorious, ruler, king, finished work, done, is where our focus should go. And that will create an identity based on Christ. Have any of you had an old laptop computer that usually runs pretty well, but when, when you least expect it, it goes dark or stops working, and what, it, what do you have to do? You have to reset. What do they tell you? Reset it. Restart it. When you call into tech support after you get so frustrated, what do they say? Well, have you restarted it? Have you reset it? Have you turned it off and you turned it on? That's what Paul's talking to us about this morning in terms of our spiritual lives. He's saying, I want you to do a reset. And what that means for us, it's a word called repentance. And that's a religious-sounding word, a scary-sounding word, but it's what's laid out in this text. It basically says, take your mind off the things of this earth and turn to me. And it's, and it's 
something that needs to happen repetitively. It's something that happen, needs to happen continuously. These were godly people. Most of us in this room are godly people, but it doesn't mean that we don't drift. It doesn't mean that we aren't distracted. It doesn't mean that we aren't lured into things that we need to do a reset. So that's what we're talking about. Paul's talking about all of us doing a reset this morning and continuously. And what we're resetting on is this overriding orientation toward Christ, toward the Messiah, toward our Savior, to reorient everything to him. And the best picture of this that I think I know of is in John 15. And I want to read something for you real quick out of John 15. And then we'll talk about it. So this is what that reorientation should look like. And this is a conversation he's having with the disciples uh, not too long before he's going to leave them and be crucified and return. And what he says in verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's powerful. So what that talks about is that um, abiding connection between Christ and those who are raised with Christ. Like a branch and a vine were connected. And abide uh, speaks to remaining in, speaks to making a home in. So it's this continuous connection to Christ is what that displays. And it talks about being... Uh, remaining and having a home in both his love and in his word. So when we're talking about this reorientation toward Christ, it's this abiding in Christ. It's this always moving back toward Christ that we're looking for. So we've been talking about how do we reorient ourselves to Christ, to identity in Christ, to unity in Christ. And now we're going to talk about the why. And I'm going to go to verse 3 of the text we were reading. It says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And now verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we talked before about that because we were raised in Christ, we needed to seek him and set our minds and hearts on him, right? So we need to orient ourselves totally based on Christ, not on the things of the world. Now what it's telling us is because we've died. So again, we've died to the old and we're alive to the new. And then what happens is, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about it for a minute. The God of the universe represented in Christ. Think about what we talk about the preeminence of Christ. So the one who everything was made through in all of creation, the one who everything was made for in all of creation, the one who holds everything together in all of creation, he is the one who our life is hidden in. That Christ, that Savior, and what does that mean? That means we're protected. That means we're safe. That means we're covered by Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. 
So not only are we covered and safe and protected with him today, when he returns in glory, we're going to ride his coattails. We're going to be part of that with this God, this preeminent Christ, this Christ that everything was made for, everything was made through, everything um, is held together by him. And when the Father looks to us, he sees Christ. So that covering that we're talking about is that we are shielded by everything that Christ has done and everything that Christ is when the Father looks to us. In our family, um, when our kids were younger, we played hide-and-seek a lot. And I can remember one time in our family, I think our oldest son was maybe eight or nine, and I think our daughter was maybe two or three. And every time the cousins came over, every time the neighborhood kids came over, especially when it was raining, they'd play hide-and-seek in the house. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Um, so, but what happened is because my daughter was only two or three, she didn't know really how to hide very well, and she always got caught, and she always got really discouraged. And usually what happened after about five minutes is she would end up crying. But our, but our oldest son is a compassionate guy. So what he ended up doing this one time that I remember very vividly is he took my daughter, Shannon, and when the count was done and when they were going to hide, he actually came into the office that I was working. I was sitting at a desk, and he came under the chair well where the desk and my chair were connecting, and he brought Shannon with him. And he took the coat that was laying there on the ground and put it over Shannon, and they were hiding in this chair well in my office. And people were, run, you know how it goes, people were running through the hallways, you heard things crashing, people were being found, <clears throat> people were yelling and screaming, people would come into my office and look around and I'd go, you know, I'd give them one of those kind of things. And they'd go off to the next room, they'd be looking in the closets. And I could see my son Ian, but because of this covering that was over my daughter Shannon, I couldn't really see her but I could tell that she was feeling secure and safe and successful because of what Ian had done for her and the covering that he had placed on her. And when it was all over and they couldn't be found and five minutes had gone on and people were getting frustrated with the where were Ian and Shannon, they would come out and Ian would come out victorious and Shannon would be right behind him in victory. And that's the picture that I'd like you to think about when you think about Jesus Christ, that we are hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God. That Christ himself has you covered under that wheel well and is protecting you and is looking out for you and is caring for you. And when, you, when he comes out, you're gonna be right with him in glory forever. That's the picture that I want you to have in your mind about what this means when it says hidden with, with Christ. So that's good news, right? We're raised with Christ. We're hidden with Christ. And now we're, we're going to come back together with him in glory. And so I want, what I want you to do is think about why this is such good news for us. What Paul is telling us in this little executive summary is that as believers, and again, this is written to people who have placed their faith in Christ as their Savior. If you haven't done that yet, we'll talk later about that if God is nudging you toward that kind of love and care, you can make a decision to do that today. But this is for the Christians. How 
cared for, they feel, I've been raised with Christ, the God of the universe, and I need to set my affections on him. I need to reorient my entire life around him. I need to continuously reset to be focused on him because what happens, I can so easily drift and become distracted and be lured into other things. But it's not as good. When you're doing that, we're making secondary things primary. When what we're doing or what we're having or what we're wanting are what we're setting our identity in, we're making the secondary things the primary things. That happened in the church the Colossian church, and that happens in reality Santa Barbara, and that happens up on this podium. We put things before Christ, we put secondary things into primary positions, and what he wants us to do is either put them in the right place, or in some cases, some of these things just need to be eliminated. And why? So that we can gaze on him, so that we can reorient on him, so that we can reset on him. And, and again, this isn't something you're gonna do this morning, then it's done. This is that old laptop computer that every now and then you just need to reset. That's the way it is with our lives. Our hearts and our minds and our actions drift, become distracted, and are lured away, and we need to reorient them to Christ, and that's what we need to do in our own lives. Amen? So why is this such a good idea? So we had a problem in that we, we got distracted. We got lured away. The church did, and, and we do sometimes, but Christ has a solution to that. We've been raised with Christ, right? We are hidden with Christ, and we're going to come back to glory with Christ. He's got a solution. But what are the benefits of that to us? I think the benefits to that to us are threefold. It deals with our past. So any of you in this room that are dealing with things in your past that you just can't get over, being died to our old self and being raised to our new self, that deals with all that. All you need to do is bring it to him and say, I want to turn away from that. I want to turn to you, Jesus. And that is done forever. So he deals with our past. In this little executive summary, we've died to the old and we're alive to the new, right? Isn't that amazing? So the past is handled. Any of you who are dealing with the past, that can be done today. Jesus has handled that. Christ has handled that. Do you trust him? Do you trust the one who the entire created world was created through and for and that he holds it all together? Do you trust him, right? So the past, so the present. He says, you are hidden with Christ in God. So we all have lots going on in our lives. There are circumstantial things, but think about my daughter with my son under that a chair well, protected, cared for, safe, assured, certain. That's what we have in Christ today. So he's handled the past. He's handled the present. And what does he say about the future? This is so amazing. It says, he is going to have us appear with him in glory when he comes back. How amazing is that? So, so Christ has handled our past. He's handling our present. He's going to handle our future. All we need to do is reset, right? We just need to reset. So my question to you as the worship team comes up is, are you in a position, is your heart so moved this morning that you are willing to consider that there are things that you've put before Christ in terms of your identity that are influencing how you think, how you act, the things you value, the things you put purpose in on, that you need to reset. You need to set your eyes on Christ. You need to set your th mind on things above. You need to reorient yourself. You know, are there mornings that you get up and you say, but I'm totally oriented around what I do. Morning, noon, and night. 
No room for anything else. That's dictating everything or things that you have. What I aspire to have, what I do have, what I don't have. Is that dictating how you live your entire life from morning till bed? That's what I'm thinking about. Or what you want, things that you crave, things that you desire, has such a hold on you that it's consuming everything about you. If any of those things are true, in any measure, what Christ is asking you to do this morning is reset. Gaze on me. Set your mind and heart on me. I'm Christ. And the easiest way, the best way to reset on Christ is to understand how much he loves you and what he thinks about you. So some of you in this room don't think about yourself so well. Maybe some of you think too much about yourself, but Christ has some very specific things that are true about your relationship with him and what you have when you're united with Christ. And what we're gonna do as we get ready to go into worship is, is I want you to kind of get into a posture where you can receive this. Now get comfortable, take a breath. Some of you may wanna close your eyes if, as long as you don't fall asleep. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read truth from scripture about who you are in Christ. And I'm gonna use I am statements most of the time. So speak it back to yourself. You can speak it out loud. But I, I just want you to take this in and understand that that reorientation to Christ starts with understanding who you are in Christ. So get comfortable. Lord, I just pray that these words would penetrate the hearts of the people here by the power of your spirit. I am made in God's image. I'm a child of God. Think about this for yourself. This is what you are if you're a believer in Christ. I am a branch of the true vine and a conduit of Christ's life. Let this marinate over you. I am a friend of Jesus. I've been justified and redeemed. I am no longer a slave to sin. I will not be condemned by God. I'm a fellow heir with Christ. Soak this in. Believe it. This is from Christ. I have been accepted by Christ. I have been called to be a saint. In Jesus Christ, I have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would let these things sink in deeply. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. I am a new creature in Christ. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. I have been set free in Christ. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I am chosen, holy, and blameless before God. I am redeemed and forgiven by the grace of Christ. I have been predestined by God to obtain an inheritance. I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because of God's mercy and love, I have been made alive with Christ. Let this soak in. Don't get distracted. Focus in on what God is telling you. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I am God's workmanship created to produce good works. I have boldness and confident access to God through faith in Christ. I was formerly darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. 
I am a citizen of heaven. The peace of God guards my heart and my mind. God supplies all my needs. I've been made complete in Christ. I have been raised up in Christ. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is my life, and I will be revealed with him in glory. God loves me and has chosen me. So I'd like you to marinate on these things. Let them soak in. Understand the identity you have as a follower of Christ, the union you have with him, that he's in you and you're in him. Think about the way God sees you as the foundation of your identity in Christ. And the identity you have in Christ is something that you receive as a gift. It's not something you achieve. So if you're about achieving what you want, what you do, what you have, you need to let those things go and set your identity on the thing that you receive as a free gift from Christ. So as we move into worship, what I'd like you to do is two things. Number one, I would like you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's areas in your life that you're setting your identity on that aren't him. So if there are things that you're craving, things that you are desiring to have, things that you're wanting to do that are dictating your identity, I pray that God would reveal to you things that need to be moved from primary to secondary or are limited so that you can reset and reorient yourself to Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you're feeling Christ is tugging on you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can accept him this morning very, very simply. You can do it from your chair. You can do it from the carpets up front. All you have to do is let him know you love him, you desire him, you repent, you turn away from the things of this world, the things that are separating you from God, the sins that you have, and turning to him. And by the power of his spirit, he will enter your life, he will enter your body, and you will follow him. So you can do that in the quiet of your own seat, but I would encourage you, if you make that decision today, that I want to follow Christ, I want this Christ, I want to die to my old self, I want to come alive in new Christ, I want to be raised with Christ. If you make that decision this morning, I would say, come, we're gonna have prayer teams on the right and the left, come share that with the prayer teams. The angel, all the angels in heaven celebrate when somebody makes that choice to follow Christ. And we wanna support you, we wanna love you, we wanna pray for you. We also have carpets up in front, so if you just wanna spend time with God um, on your face, on your knees, you can do that up front. And then we also have communion to the right and to the left. And again, this is just a physical example where we look at what Jesus did with his body and with his blood for our sake. That he died on the cross for our sins. And we remember that. And we remember again in this text that he will come back in glory and we will be with him. So enjoy this time in worship, worshiping of our King, the one who you have been raised with.